0: This is episode 256 with author of The Sprinter's Compendium, a top high school cross-country and track coach, and the elected president of the Missouri Track and Cross-Country Coaches Association, Ryan Banta. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is about how to change when you're forced to change. Our guest is one of the best high school coaches in the country and author of the book, The Sprinter's Compendium, Ryan Banta. We're discussing the value of flexibility, how to turn adversity into opportunity, what training changes make sense based on your setbacks, and more. This show includes a lot of stories from both Ryan and I, and I really hope you enjoy it. And if you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I wanna help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to running, smarter training tips to keep you running fast, how to structure your weekly mileage, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on everything from strength training to nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Gnarly Nutrition. Use code Gnarly20 for 20% off site-wide at gonarly.com. Gnarly Nutrition understands runners because its team is filled with mountain athletes and runners just like you. With a full line of NSF-certified products that are natural, effective, and great tasting, Gnarly is sure to be your go-to for protein powder, fuel, and more. Personally, their chocolate whey protein powder is Hands down, without comparison, the best protein powder I've ever had. Check out all their goodies at gonarly.com and use code Gnarly20 for 20% off your entire order. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is gonna give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop to make this part of your nutrition plan. I try to have one serving every day of AG1. Tell me cover my bases and for a nice boost of midday energy. See all those details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. All right, our guest today is Mr. Ryan Banta, a coach with more than 20 years of experience and the author of The Sprinter's Compendium. At the high school level, Ryan has produced more than 130 all-state medalists, including more than 10 state champions and 15 runners-up. His teams have won 12 district championships and... Five top five state finishes in the last nine seasons. He's also coached the state championship team just this year. He has been elected Missouri Track and Cross Country Coaches Association president and served on the Missouri State High School Activities Association Advisory Board. Ryan has been so enormously successful for a variety of reasons. One of them is that he understands a plan never goes according to plan. Like Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, what happens when you get metaphorically punched in the mouth? How will you deal with adversity, setbacks, and obstacles in the way of your goals? How can we be adaptable and flexible while still pushing ourselves forward? That's what we're discussing today with details on specific changes you can make to your training based on the setback you're experiencing, the mindset that's needed for flexibility, why training plans always get changed, our favorite forms of cross-training for runners, and more. Speaking of planning, you can use our free Season Planner worksheet at strengthrunning.com season seasonplanner, and there's a hyphen in between season and planner. It'll help you plan the length of your season, tune up race distances, scheduling, and more. All right, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Coach Ryan Banta. All right. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. I know it's been a while and there's been a lot of stuff going on everywhere inside and out of the uh, running community, but it's always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited about this conversation. We're talking about adaptability today and how to make changes when you are forced to make changes. And, And I think Where we are right now has just shown us that we are going to have to make changes to our training because we are not in as much control as we thought we were with everything from the pandemic and all the things that have gone along with the pandemic, a lot of economic disruptions, disruptions to to teams. There are not being any races. There's so many things that we as runners have to be adaptable to. And I think that flexibility is really valuable to us as athletes. So I think we can divide this conversation into two different parts. There's the mindset piece around being adaptable and then the specific mechanics about, you know, what modifications make sense and how to get similar training adaptations from different kinds of stimuli. But I would love to start with the mindset. I think this is the hard part for a lot of runners to wrap their head around. Why is it so hard to change your plan, even when your plan needs to change?
1: Well, I am a control freak. Uh, My assistant coaches have told me such. And I think that I could dive into that mindset pretty easily when we talk about a type A type of athlete or personality. And one of the things that I've grown accustomed to, yet I get reminded of my kind of immovability from time to time, is that you can only control the things that you can control. And the reality is, is what you can control is very narrow. And so I think that when we look at, hey, I've got this much time to get this workout in or this training, or I have this race in three months, and it says on this plan that I'm supposed to hit this much mileage today or have this recovery day. And in the world that we live in now, post-pandemic or current pandemic, however you wanna look at it, there are so many things that are going to come down the pipe that if you don't adapt, you're going to live a life very frustrated and very upset. And so one of the things that you know I've done with my athletes from time to time, most years, is we will try to reframe a situation psychologically. So you come into the situation, and now you're presented with something completely different. So we had a young lady who finally was going to have a chance to run an 800-meter run fresh because her good old coach me never really allowed that to happen but the way that the state schedule was this would be the first time that she would toe the line and be completely fresh and chasing prs and an all-state medal and all this kind of stuff well as luck would have it uh there's a hashtag called banta versus the weather which means that we're always constantly having to change because it's not just our own personal stuff, but mother nature gets in the way as well. Well, there was a lightning strike within like a hundred yards I mean, you could see it from the state track. Well, at that point, a big storm rolls in. And now this young athlete who was finally going to get to run this race fresh now is forced to have a completely changed schedule, try to be competitive coming back, not on the same day, but the next day and have a much busier schedule. Well, the good news is with that particular athlete, we had already practiced reframing any circumstance that is unsuspected and potentially could be seen as a negative. And instead of seeing it as a negative, it's like, well, now let's reframe it into its positives and how we can make the best of that situation. These things actually take practice. And it may sound hokey, but it is a good mental exercise to actually go, okay. Um, you know, I'm in halfway through the marathon and now I have to go to the restroom and there's not a bathroom in sight that's convenient based on the rhythm, or I'm in a really good pace right now. What am I supposed to do? Well, if you've never seen it before, if you've never experienced it before, if you've never been there, you will be unprepared. So practicing and going through that mental exercise of dealing with those challenges that may even be the most ridiculous or unexpected challenges ever are really important. Um, I had a young athlete, Roland, or not a young athlete, a, a master's athlete who was on my podcast, uh, last year. And his name is Roland Schoolman and Roland Schoolman is, uh, a world record holder in the hundred meter, uh, freestyle and the four by one, uh, Olympic swimmer. And I talked to him, I'm like, you know, in a sport like that, where it's very different than distance running in some respects, because the differences are mere tenths of a second. Um, where in track, that's more likely, but in road runs and marathons and half marathons, it's a little bit different. How did you handle the stress of having to be at your very best? He goes, well, I just thought of myself as my absolute very worst. Like I thought about jumping off the edge of the pool, smacking my head open, bleeding, you know, falling in, embarrassing myself, you know, and I realized that combination of the worst things is absolutely probably not going to happen. But then I let myself feel what that felt like. And realize at the end of the day, that's probably going to be okay. It isn't going to break me. And now I'm then after getting that out of my system, I could then go back to the business at hand at taking care of the things that are more likely going to happen. So you've kind of got those two mindsets like, hey, this could happen. You need to be prepared. Let's have a strategy mentally to deal with that, to reframe it, to turn into a positive. Hey, Let's think of the most silly, ridiculous thing ever, because those feelings are going to be there. So don't shun them, welcome them, dive into them, but then also realize how ridiculous they are. And then let's get to business. So those are some things I think that can be extrapolated out into other aspects of what we're trying to do to be an athlete.
0: A lot of this comes down to expectations, it seems like you know, if you expect things to go perfectly, if you expect the weather on marathon day to be 41 degrees with no wind and an overcast day, and you're setting yourself up for a perfect scenario, and there's almost never that perfect scenario. That That is like the unicorn we're all chasing that only, you know, we can only catch it every once in a while. And, you know, I'll never forget I ran the cherry blossom 10 mile race in Washington, D.C. years back. And, you know, like like the you know, fool that I am, I got off on the wrong metro stop and I had to really hustle my way to the starting line. I wasn't able to warm up as much as I would like to. Uh, I had to wait in a bathroom line that was really long and I almost missed the start of the race. And that threw me off so much mentally that I was a little bit of a basket case for the early miles of the race as I was just trying to kind of get into my rhythm I was not trying to worry about the fact that my warm up wasn't as thorough as I would have liked you know runners are such creatures of habit you know we have the right warm up that we like to go through that priming sequence that gets us sort of in the zone and I wasn't able to do that and I realized after that race after by the way I missed my 10 mile PR by 2 seconds and no doubt that if I had, you know, had a better head on my shoulders and not been such a, you know, anxious basket case, I probably would have been able to execute my race strategy better. But it really taught me the value of just being okay and accepting all of those difficult things that are inevit- inevitably going to happen. You know, there's going to be rain delays in certain track meets, certain races, you're going to have to wait, maybe modify your warm up, and, and that can be a really difficult thing to do on the fly. Do you recommend that folks like your your story with that very good master swimmer, do you recommend that we almost use imagery or visualization to go through some of those worst case scenarios? Because like you said, I mean some of them are just sort of ridiculous, you know, falling off the the starting blocks and hitting your head on the side of the pool, you know, that to me just sort of cracks me up. Like it's rarely going to happen. But at the same time, if you're expecting the worst, and then it goes fairly well, you're going to be on top of the world mentally.
1: Yeah, I think it's always prepare for the worst, but be prepared for your best as well. And so what we do in our program with that particular situation with my 800 meter athlete, who, by the way, ended up um, getting buried in her heat and passing, you know, about 10 to eight athletes to finish all the way up in third place massive PR. It was her third PR three weeks in a row. She went on to then qualify for a postseason elite meet, the Festival of Miles, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard about, where we had young men go you know, under four minutes in the mile uh, this spring. And she PR'd there as well and was very close to our school record right behind Emily Sisson, who you guys all know, uh, the Olympian and American record holder. So pretty good company to be running with. And one of the things that we did to prepare her and her teammates is we have like scenarios. So like when they have, we throw down a deck of cards and on a deck of cards, they pull out a deck of card. And then that card is associated specifically to a particular problem that they would likely face. Now, because I coach cross country and track and field, you have a mix of different things that are in there. So sometimes They'll pull a card that has to do with the shot put. Well, that has nothing to do with them, but it doesn't take very long for them to pull a card that is 100% relevant to them. And then what we do is we have a protocol of, okay, what's our, what's our self-talk going to be like? What are we going to physically do to deal with that? How are we going to decompress from that and then re-engage? How are we going to look at this as being a positive? What are positives that we can pull out of this for you? How are you going to take competitive advantage of that? And then we literally have them workshop it uh, with a partner or a small group, because sometimes the kid individually might not be able to handle that, but their friends can. And then we talk about it in a larger group as well, just like you would do a classroom lesson. And it's amazing um, how those skills carry over mentally to make an athlete better prepared to actually handle the real thing. You know, if you think about the importance of visualization. And they've done studies on this, that when you do some of your visualization in the brain, the things that are getting lit up in your brain, when you're actually doing it are the same as they are when you're visualizing it. So where you're not getting necessarily the physical fatigue and stress from it, you can mentally go through these reps and have this ability to change the mindset into a much more positive whatever those restrictions may be because of your new paradigm or the new situation you have to handle.
0: I think this aspect of imagery is really valuable for distance runners because it really drives home the point that we can't just imagine ourselves sprinting down the home stretch and and running a personal best and all the good things that we want. It's really important to actually visualize mistakes and adversity and obstacles that might come in your way because then it gives you the Mental roadmap to actually solve whatever problem is coming up uh, in front of you, and I'm really struck by your team, you know, going through this exercise and, and really being very intentional about the types of problems that they might experience. And you know, certainly there's so many different issues that come up both in cross country and track and field, uh, and, and you're working with high school athletes. and, and I'm just curious does this require a lot of buy-in from the team to engage in these types of exercises? Um, you know, cause I'm sure, you know, the runners just want to go run, you know, they want to show you how far they can go, how fast they can go. They don't want to be pulling cards from the, the deck of cards and talking about problems they might experience. What kind of, you know, team coaching is going on at that time to allow all these athletes to actually believe in this process to get value from this process? Because I think it is truly valuable. Yeah.
1: it's First of all, you have to lead from the front. Culture is never on autopilot. So if you just expect that you're going to have a good culture, you're going to have buy-in, you're going to have these things, it's not going to happen. So one of the best ways is when you're asking your athletes to be vulnerable or to deal with challenges, you need to be vulnerable yourself. And so I am an open book. My athletes know when I've had things going on and stuff I've dealt with and, and challenges. And it's really funny because here, this guy you're talking to has a master's in positive psychology, but I could be a real grumpy Gus. But one of the things that I try to do is I try to be as positive as I can with them when I'm on stage and when I'm with them, but also vulnerable and open to say, Hey, I went through this. I went through that. And I failed and it was embarrassing. And it was, I felt like it was going to be my undoing, but I learned a lot along the way. It didn't end me. It provided opportunities for me to be a better coach, a better athlete, a better father, a better parent. And you learn from that. So it's never about losing. It's all about learning. If you win and everything goes perfect, like you said, you had a perfect day. You've learned nothing. So let's go through a situation that we can learn something right now to truncate our learning curve when we face adversity later. So, like, it's a rainy day outside. As long as it's not a torrential downpour and it's thunder and lightning, we're going outside. You know, if it's cold, we're going to go outside. Why? Because In the spring, especially in the fall, it's a little easier to deal with. But in the spring, you can't guarantee the conditions you're going to have. And that might be your opportunity to qualify for the Boston Marathon, right? That may be your opportunity to qualify for the state championship. And so you cannot take like no competition as an option. We want to get you to competition. We want you to compete, even if the conditions aren't great, even if you're not in the best situation you could possibly be in because we have to start somewhere and we have to learn and we cannot learn about how to adjust and what to adjust if we don't go through this. And so we talked to the kids about that and yeah, and you know, you get into that, I'm not real cool with Kumbaya or this, that, but when teammates start to open up and maybe they didn't realize that story about that particular athlete or that particular kid that they're dealing with, they may not verbalize it, but internally they're like, Oh, I didn't know they went through that. I didn't know they dealt that. In one of these conversations that we had, uh, Jason, I found out that two of my athletes thought I preferred them better. That literally both of the athletes were like, well, I think you like that athlete better. They're your favorite. And the other athlete says, I thought that he thought you were his favorite. And it was wild. And then after having that conversation of the mental stress and worry and concern is one of the things we were dealing with on that particular day. I was able to go, whoa, first of all, i failed as a coach. I've failed. How can I learn from this? This is an opportunity for me to learn to become better. I lost that couple of athletes for a couple of weeks. What can I do to be better? Well, number one is, you know, we're going to make both of you are our top two girls. We're going to have a lot of conversations with both of you, no matter what grade you're in. So you guys are both on the same page of what I'm trying to get done. And we're no longer competing against each other like chasing ghosts. You guys are going to run together. You're going to train together because you're going to be racing together. And at the end of the day, I don't care who wins or loses. I want you to be the best version of yourself. And let's be clear. I love all of you. You know, I don't have any favorites. I have favorite attitudes. You know, I definitely have favorite attitudes, but I don't have favorite athletes. My job is to get the athletes to be the best version of themselves. So even us as coaches with that vulnerability and that openness and realizing, hey, I made a mistake. I didn't do my job. I failed both of you really then allows everyone else to feel comfortable and open. And, you know, maybe that particular athlete can help guide the other athlete who's a little bit more shut down or closed off to slightly open the door to vulnerability so that they can deal with that. And, and you know, from a strategic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense anyway to just arm them with how to think about a potential situation and how to make it the best it can be.
0: I like how you're reframing this, even this situation to be one that you, the coach can learn from as well. It's not like you are the all knowing, <laughs> you know, uh, coach at, in the front of the team, standing on stage. Everything you say is timeless wisdom that has to be written down, you know, like you, you're a human being and you make mistakes. And I think that leads your team to be vulnerable and, and to be okay with, you know, the same types of issues that you're bringing up for you as well. Now, Ryan, one of the things that you said that I want to touch on real quick was, you know, this idea of if it's raining, we're going to go running. If it's hot, we're going to go running. If it's cold, we're going to go running. And I have long thought that the mental skill of mental toughness is really like problem solving with things that come up that are uncomfortable to deal with, whether it's the weather, whether it's you staying calm while your race is delayed and you have to extend your warm up or do things differently. And I I think one of the best ways of building that form of mental toughness is this gradual and very consistent exposure to things that are uncomfortable, like you said, running in the rain, running in the cold, you know, you do a long run on a Saturday and you're tired on Sunday. Well, you're still going to go running. We need to run when you're tired, when you're fresh, and when you're every stage in between. What are your thoughts on this idea of this consistent, low-grade exposure to uncomfortable things as a way to build mental toughness
1: well it's funny because i had a debate with another coach who has a philosophy of minimizing all stress at all times at every moment um and he and he and i are both kind of in the world of sprinting and his system is feed the cats and i have a system that we dubbed the critical mass system and the idea of the critical mass system is exposing you to the expectations that we can't. So like control what you can control. So like number one, what are the distances you're going to race or run? You should be going above and below at various paces above or below those distances consistently throughout your training. What is the run or race going to look like? Well, if you're on a hilly course, you know, and you're running a hilly run, then you better darn well be training on those things to deal with that and probably have a slight overload to the expectation of what you're going to be seeing in the competition to stretch your ability to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like there is a, in our conversation, he had this elaborate thing about like, here's how we're gonna predict what you're gonna run in the 400. And it's like this four or five step thing. And he and I have a lot of love for each other and respected in the conversation. I said, well, Tone, I said, what I would do is I just go out there and run the 400 to find out like what we can do and let every kid deal with that because in the world of track and field, oh my gosh, that's so scary for the sprinters, for the distance runners. It's like, you're going to make me run a 10 K. Oh my God. You know, on the track, you know, and it's like, but if they've never seen it, if they've never been exposed to it, even in a slight overload of volume or an overload of intensity, or a diminished recovery, we have to stress the people so that they can become comfortable with being uncomfortable. If we don't ever put them in that situation, we've failed. So one of the things that I have to do in my program is the state championship for track and field is a two-day meet. Well, that means back-to-back running and racing and throwing and jumping. Well, then that means my training has to show that. And how does it show it? Well, you have to have recoveries that mimic as best you can recoveries you're going to see in competition. You're going to have to have loads in practice that are going to mimic the loads just above or just below that they're going to see in the accumulation of the two days. They're going to have to see a back-to-back competitive cycle in the practice setting. So like a Monday and a Tuesday, they may have to run back-to-back, you know, harder days, which makes people wildly uncomfortable. It's like you got to get used to that. You don't need to do a lot. You don't need to do a ton. And of course we have, you know, progressions through our periodization and peaking that we do. So it doesn't blow their legs out because obviously we want them to be the most competitive at the end of the year. But for example, uh, our sectional meet got moved. Here's a big, what are we supposed to do? Don't be a type a, please adjust be okay with adjusting. We had tornadoes and rain and all this kind of stuff at our sectional meet. There was no way on that day that any of those schools wanted to compete. So now sectionals got moved to Monday, the week of state. So now the kids are going to have to race and throw and jump and run Monday, Friday and Saturday. And oh, by the way, it's finals week. So how do you become comfortable with being uncomfortable? Well, I knew because of what I've done with my practices. First of all, we've run back to back days. Second of all, let's reframe. Saturday was going to be horrible, terrible weather. A lot of factors we couldn't control. What can we control on Monday? The weather's going to be perfect. Now we don't have to worry about the most uncontrollable scenario. Now we can take care of all of our stuff. Hey, we got to run to qualify. You don't need to run a PR. Just be in the top four. You don't need to run to the front. Be in the top four. Don't need a PR. It's about getting to the state championship now. You've already got your scholarships or your colleges or whatever. And then, hey, Friday, weather's going to be not as good as it is on Saturday. Again, we're going to manage our load. We're going to run the qualify, try to get the preferential seed lane, all that kind of stuff. But we don't need to break any land speed records for today. Also, athletes, you've trained now to handle back-to-back days. If there's any program in the state that can do it, we can. And so I had uh, three of my young athletes on my team ran 12 races 12 races in five days now for all those people that are out there like that's brutal I know I understand we were trying to win a state title and we did okay and it was it was amazing it was awesome and we dominated the meet and everybody was really happy and it was the first girls sports state title in a long time but we made sure that we were careful through that not to make mistakes over the course of those 12 races or we would have blew it And so we knew what the plan was, we discussed it ahead of time, we reframed the day and then the week following, and we understood the strategy, and the athletes knew we have to make an adjustment if we're going to reach our ultimate outcome goal, which is to win a team title. Can you guys do that? Do you understand the mission? And everyone was on board, and the athletes also were on board with it and wanted that, and so they were much more involved, had much more buy-in, and the culture allowed for that to take place because what we've already put forth in our training earlier in the year.
0: Ryan, you mentioned the plan. I want to talk a little bit more about the plan. Have you ever had a plan for a season that you were then able to follow hundred percent? Never. And every <laughs> athlete
1: needs to be understanding that it's never going to go exactly the way that you plan. But here's the hopeful part of that too. You're going to have unplanned surprises in a good way. So there's always bad things that show up and good things that show up. And it's interesting, our mindset as human beings, you know, in our evolutionary process, you know, we are pretty soft as a species. So we had to use our brains and our hands and our cunning to survive. Well, one of the things that we've adapted is always looking for the danger, always looking for the bad, always concerned. And so this has been proven through research that it takes four uh, positives to outdo one negative of equal magnitude. So, in other words, if I had one kid that gave me trouble in class and said, "Mr. Banty, you're the worst teacher ever," I would need four kids as enthusiastically telling me the opposite to balance that out. So, as athletes, we have to recognize that yes, it's not going to go exactly to plan. So, when I look at my plan now, because I used to be very anal retentive. We have to do every drill, every rep, every set. Oh, my God, we're going to miss this day. What's that going to do? And first of all, that's so neurotic and it adds so much unnecessary stress that it becomes not pleasant to do the thing you love to do, which is be a competitive athlete or to get in shape or to be healthy or to train for your 5K or half marathon. It shouldn't be like that. This should be a generally a positive experience because there's so many benefits to being physically active. So how I look at it symbolically, I look at it as, hey, we're going to ride on a boat. We're going to go take a boat ride. We're going to go on a lake. And we kind of know the cove that we're going to go in. And we're going to hang out there. and We're going to splash around and swim. We might fish. We might have a few drinks on the boat. We might listen to some cool music. But we're going to lay our anchor down. And the anchor is going to kind of keep us in the general area in that cove. But then what's going to happen is that boat is going to move around that cove, around that anchor. So it's not going to sit exactly on top of that anchor because that is impossible. But in general, you kind of know the things you need to get done. I have, let's say, 10 signature workouts that I need to get done to create a very masterful 5K, 10K athlete or a 100 meter dash person. Well, I can't do that workout today. Maybe I can't do that workout this month. That's okay. But what are the other things I can get done? And how can that keep me on a path of either reducing the time I'm away from what I really want to do or take care of an aspect of my athleticism that I need to get done now? How can I make the best of it? Guess what? You know, you had a horrible week at work. You're in the office, you know, for the first time since covid And you're like, man, I I just can't hit my lactic threshold run today. Well, yeah, no doubt. Why wouldn't you? You know, there's no way you should be able to do this first. You know, week back in the office with other humans, that's gonna create a tension and a fatigue that is subtle that you probably only would see when you're physically active. Listen to your body; it's telling you what you probably should need to do. Just like if you're in that cove. And all of a sudden you lay your anchor down too close to shore and you're butting up against this rocky shore. Well, then pick up the anchor, move the boat back into the center of the cove. And now you're playing in the area where you wanted to play and you're not in a radical different situation. You just had to tweak one thing a little bit.
0: Yeah, you're really reminding me of the first time that I personally And very viscerally experienced that phenomenon. When I was in college, I took the LSAT. I had some delusions about becoming a lawyer at the time. (laughs) But I took the LSAT, which is a very long, stressful, standardized test. You know, many people are familiar with the SATs or, you know, other professional tests that you have to take later on in life. And it was a very mentally fatiguing task of mine. And I went to the track afterwards. I had a six kilometer tempo run that I did by myself that I missed because my cross country team had practiced earlier in the day during the test. And just like you said, I was unable to hit my lactate threshold paces. I wasn't off substantially, but I was significantly slower and it just didn't feel right. And that was the first time that I realized, wow, my physical performance is so impacted by what is going on with me psychologically. And and I think it was one of those things that, you know, you've got to learn things the hard way. Sometimes I certainly had to. And, And for me to experience that, it gave me a lot more flexibility to be kind to myself. When I am dealing with a lot of those things that are outside of running, it can be really helpful to know, look, you're not going to be able to rock that 20 mile run as you get ready for this marathon. Maybe you're not going to be able to hit those splits in this workout. And that's okay. You're dealing with so much other extra stress outside of, you know, your actual training. And You know, we were talking about this a little bit offline before we started, Ryan, you know, I'm, I'm someone who essentially makes a living by selling training plans, but I will be the first person to tell you that any training plan is going to have to be modified at, at a certain point. And I think that's something that a lot of runners struggle with. And, uh, you know, do you consider any training program that you have, whether, you know, you might be working with a high school sprinter, or you're talking to an adult marathoner, Should we consider every plan that we have one that is in pencil and will undoubtedly require modifications? Yeah, you should never write in
1: pen. I mean, that is an absolute. I I I tend to think like absolutes are absolutely wrong, you know, which is kind of a funny absolute in and of itself. Go down that mental spiral. But I think that it is incredibly important to mentally and literally, you know, physically Write your plans in pencil. You have your goals in mind. You have the things you want to accomplish. But if you're so married to the plan that you're not willing to take the plan to counseling, you you got some problems. You know, there needs to be adjustments made occasionally. You know, and in life and relationships, you have arguments that allow for recalibration. And you have to learn from that and apologize and try to do your best to adjust and learn. Right From that, and sometimes those lessons are are hard to learn. and I am 100% subject to that. But what I always try to tell athletes is like, look, I will give you a plan, I will give you these things. One of the things that was really interesting is Gary Winkler, very famous coach. He was a longtime head coach at the University of Illinois. He's coached numerous world uh, level sprinters and long sprinters and you know 400 meter hurdlers. Amazing coach, okay? And he's now, building saddles and he's an artist. It's crazy. But when I asked him for a bunch of workouts that he had young coach, enthusiastic, give me the plan, give me the gold bullet. And he had words that were very, uh, you know, thoughtful and predicted the future. in, in many ways, he said, listen, these workouts are going to probably provide you more questions than answers. And I, like, ah, whatever. Just give me the workouts. And what was really interesting is over time, of course, him having that sage advice, I was like, oh, I like that for this, but what I thought that that particular module or set of workouts would go with, it's actually better down here, or that doesn't work with this type of personality or physical type of athlete, it's better here. Or I didn't even realize the rhythm and movement of what he was trying to do. Through these modules, I was literally just trying to go rep by rep and exercise by exercise. And as I gained a little bit of insight and gained a little bit of experience, I could go back every year, and I do, and look at those workouts and go, oh, now that makes more sense. I had this particular kid or this particular situation. I know what that workout now was trying to address. I might have applied it inappropriately. And as athletes, if we're personally training ourselves, you need, you need to listen to yourself. Okay. And you need to listen to your body, but that's, what's kind of nice about having someone like yourself who can then also communicate with them and help guide. And it's not like, here's a list of the 10 commandments, but let's get in the ballpark and then think, how can we adjust what we're doing day to day, week to week to address the 10 things that we want to get done to become really good at the half marathon, the 5k, the 10k, whatever it may be. Um, And I think the better that that can be done, the better the athlete will have an outcome that they like because they can adjust their way into a more fluid situation that better fits their lifestyle and better fits their genetics or better fits just their period of life. So with my book that I put together, the sprinters compendium, that was the goal. I brought in 50 coaches from around the world with very different opinions with that in mind to say, Hey, like you could do this, but maybe you would benefit better from this philosophy. Maybe, you know, Tony's philosophy is better for you than mine. And that's okay. And I think that when we get into that mindset and we're okay with that and able to make those adjustments, we're going to be happier because we let go of the fatigue and stress. I've got to do this versus maybe I've got to get these things done throughout these two weeks versus today, this hour, this many reps.
0: Yeah, it's a certain level of acceptance that you're not going to be able to do things, quote unquote, perfectly that I think can come in real handy uh, as distance runners. And uh, I would love to talk a little bit more about some specifics. You mentioned before, you know, okay, if I can't do this workout, what are some other physical skills that I might be able to work on instead? And this kind of speaks to, you know, this this very simple philosophy I have of just do the best you can. You know, if you can't do your 8-mile run, can you do 7? Can you do 6? You know, can you get in the spirit of the workout in a similar way while making any modifications that you need to make. And so I'd love to talk through some very specific problems that distance runners often run into, and then maybe some very concrete, practical ways of changing their approach to the training so that, you know, they can still accomplish their goals later on down the road. And and I think a very common one is, you know, you're in the middle of your training cycle, you're getting ready for that marathon, that 5k, whatever it might be. And some little niggle pops up, some something relatively minor, you might have to take three to six days off you're doing some rehab, you otherwise come back feeling okay, but now you're not sure, can I just jump right back into my training? How do I make these modifications? If we're just talking about that minor injury with maybe about a half a week or so of missed training time, what are some practical ways that runners can embrace the changes they have to make to their plan? Yeah.
1: So first of all, embrace the opportunity that now you have an opportunity to learn from the experience. You have an opportunity to be slightly fresher. You have an opportunity to change up and maybe to do something you've been thinking about doing, and now you're going to be forced to do it. So one of the things that Emily really did well, I mean, she was so prepared as a high school athlete and very thoughtful about what she would do, Um, I, everybody always said, well, how many miles did she do? And I was like, well, it's not really about miles. She's not a high mileage. Now I don't know about her training now, you know, I have no idea what she's doing now, but when she was in high school, it's like, but she's a high minutes person. So there would be two a days where, Hey, she'd run in the morning, cross train elliptical in the afternoon, you know, then the next morning would swim in the morning and then run in the afternoon. And so there was always this ebb and flow of very hard work on her feet and very hard work off her feet, which allowed for uh, novelty, you know, to freshen up the training so it didn't get stale, to allow her body to adjust and to be able to come back. Now, I know that not all of us have access to a pool, but most of us who are avid, avid runners, especially distance runners, I'm sure you have a recumbent bike. I'm sure there's a treadmill. I'm sure there's an elliptical somewhere at a gym. You know, you can do those things to bridge the gap. Even if it's like, hey, you know, I've got a really bad shin thing going on on one leg. Go get on the bike. You know, go get on a bike. You're not going to lose a lot. And in fact, you might gain something from perspective, a different time, a freshening of firing patterns and joints and muscle tissue. One of the things that when an athlete comes to me that's struggling With something. First of all, is it unilateral or is it bilateral? If it's bilateral and you're feeling it in both of your ankles, both of your shins, whatever, your calves, your quads, your Achilles, probably not something that should raise the alarms of let's shut everything down and do nothing. Maybe we just need to back off and then we need to reflect, which is one of the reasons why it's really good to have a journal and look back at, well, what was different about your day that bilaterally? both of your legs are having this issue. And it's like, well, instead of running on my, my park, you know, I went on a road run uh, on a day when I normally run on a soft surface. Well, ding, 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 ding. That's probably why your shins feel different, you know? And from there you can say, well, can I work through this? Or do I just need a day or two of adjustment in training? So with my athletes we go, okay, can you run or can you sprint? No, you can't sprint. Can you run? Can you jog? Can you dribble run? Can you walk? You know, and we go down that path as we adjust. And as we move down that path, we try to figure out, okay, now you can't sprint. All right, can you run? Can we do 50%? Can you accelerate, but you can't sprint maximum velocity? And you can go through this progression all the way down to minimal activity. And we get all the way down to, okay, we bring a recumbent bike outside and they do their workout outside along with our team. So you're still getting the dopamine of sunlight, UV rays, you still feel like you're with the coaches and your athletes, you still get to socialize. When we do our drills, if you can't run, then we do walking drills that mimic the same things as best we can that we're trying to get done that are at the full speed version. And probably a good warmup should have a mix of those anyway. You know, hey, I can't squat. Well, can you still lift upper body? Hey, I can't lift off this leg. Well, can you still lift on the other leg? and and those things are interesting because there's this phenomenon called the crossover effect that even if you bike with half the body or lift with half the body that the time you have away from an injury or a soreness or whatever will actually truncate and be shortened because there's biochemical things that happen that allow for that other side that is the side not being activated that will get a little bit better a little bit quicker than completely shutting down the whole system because Nothing, even running, is not a linear pursuit. We are counter-rotating forces throughout. Your body doesn't have muscles that just go up and down. They go up and down, side to side, crisscross and wrap around. So the more that we can do simulated activities that closely resemble what we want, the better. So for example, hey, I got to do a lactic threshold run, but I can't run today. Can you do it on a bike? Can you get in deep water run in a pool? Well, I don't like the way that the pool makes my feet. I don't feel like I'm cycling through my legs as well. Well, put a, you know, a deep water pool runner on. And then if you can, if it's your pool, put on some old tennis shoes that you don't mind ruining and jump in the pool with the tennis shoes. And that added weight allows your cycle to be bigger in the pool that will more simulate running. And you're going to get a lot out of it, even though you're not overcoming gravity, you can do your drills in the pool. Right. You can do high knees. You can do a skips. You can do karaoke in the pool. It feels goofy, but you can still do it. So how can we close the gap between complete inactivity and getting as close as we can without increasing the soreness, the concern, the, the issue that we've got showing up the best we can. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do it.
0: Yeah, I love how you have very much formalized my do the best you can approach to training. And you're giving me real flashbacks to my college days. You know, I remember there was one indoor track season where I got hurt. I couldn't run for about a week. I kind of forget what it was at this point, you know, some minor little annoyance that happens. And I spent that week doing sometimes two a day pool runs. And so I was doing aqua jogging in the pool, I was doing workouts in the pool, I was doing strength training. And I only had a couple days of easy running before, you know, I was registered in a race and I was running a race and I just had no idea how I was going to feel because I hadn't been running very much. You know, I had taken about a week off and I was in the pool, you know, sometimes up over two, two hours a day, two and a half hours a day. And I was so surprised to learn that I had virtually not lost any fitness whatsoever and that I had raced a 3K 3000 meters indoor track, right after this injury, after coming off of just pool running workouts, and I ran a PR. And, And that was the start of a great run of a couple PRs that I had during that indoor track season. And I think the hardest part of that injury was the psychological part of missing training with the team, thinking that I wasn't getting faster, thinking that I was losing fitness. And I think a lot of this conversation has taught me that you know, it's fairly easy to do the next possible thing that you might be able to do. One of the hardest things for runners is to wrap our head around it, to be okay with changing the plan, to be okay with accepting that we can't control everything. And when we come outside, you know, on the other end of these things, we'll actually be maybe better runners if we've used that time productively. And I think it's a really valuable insight to have to always try to learn from any setback that you might have, particularly a little injury, because I think certainly, um, you know, you can have an injury and either learn from it or not learn from it. You know, how are you going to approach your training a little bit differently after this injury is resolved so that hopefully it doesn't come back again. Uh, so we talked about what a runner might do if they have a small injury, a niggle, they're taking a couple days off let's imagine there's an adult marathoner who wants to run the Chicago marathon coming up this fall, but they're not really at an ideal starting point. So essentially they have less training time that they would like or less fitness at the very beginning of the training cycle. And they're still going to run the race, but they're wondering how to make the best of their training time because they're admittedly not starting from a great position. What might you say in, in this scenario?
1: Well I think the biggest thing that we could look at is how do we close the gap from where you are to where you're gonna go and what gives you the most options to train and the the fluid the fluidity between the no and the go so how do we add fluid to get the no to turn into a go so like oh it's hot outside well you know I'll wait till tomorrow well now you've lost a day Well, it's storming today and the weather's terrible. It's a torrential downpour. Oh, I've got to go to a birthday party. And, you know, the only time I like to run is in the morning. And for some reason, this birthday party is in the morning. Listen, the best way is how can you get physically active for the minutes that it usually would take for you to cover the mileage? If you're focused on the minutes of activity you begin to close the gap and you won't fall farther behind. One of the worst things that happened to me was trying to figure out like, what am I going to do if it rains in the afternoons when we have rugby practice? I played on a rugby team and I and I was using rugby to get myself back into physical fitness. And it just seemed like there was always these things that were grit in the gears that added the outcome of the no versus the go and what i should have looked at is like okay hey i don't know what practice is going to be like but no matter what i'm going to have a plan a b and c so if i can't get a done that it's not like nothing's getting done now i can fall back on a b and i can fall back on a c so like hey i want to get this run in but the weather's terrible all right well now i'm going to have to simulate something on the bike that looks just like what i was going to do on the ground how can i get that done Hey, I like to be in a noisy environment. I don't like being in the gym, you know, and riding along with headphones in. What can I do? Well, find a video on YouTube that plays background noise of whatever city scape you want and put that in the background to try to simulate the noise and sounds that you would be expecting in competition that would mimic what you want, you know. Um, there's so many things that need to be done, but the focus on the minutes versus the miles is very, very important days of activity, having not a specific exact, this must be done on this day schedule. So like I have to do a threshold run on Thursdays. I have to do my long run on Saturdays. I have to do my speed work on Mondays. No, instead I have 14 days to get these 10 workouts done. Let's look at the weather. Let's look at my personal schedule. Let's look at my level of fitness. Well, it's t- first of all, I just said 10 workouts for 14 days, which now means there's four days that you can totally play with that are completely off and recovery days or active recovery days, more better choice than being completely stagnant. Okay, but now you can just slide like a puzzle piece, like the old little kid ones we had that would make a picture, like a Rubik's Cube, but at the one side, you know, and let's slide it around to get to the picture. But it might be a different move this week than it was last week to slide this workout in here. And then next week it'll be over here. And that's okay because I know in 14 days, I got to get these 10 things done, which gives me days off and gives me the flexibility to find the best day. That fits the activity that I want to get done, as opposed to I have to have this exact rotation and this exact rhythm.
0: I think as we're having this conversation, it, it I think it's really helpful to, or rather, I think it's very easy to replace running with aerobic cross training, pool running, cycling, something similar to that, the elliptical, and you know they are types of exercise that have a good carryover from you know, whatever the form of cross training is to running, you know, if you get in a lot of cycling, you're probably improving your running fitness. And and a lot of that carries over. What happens if you can't do much strength training? Because here is an area where, you know, there are less options available, I think, for athletes who want to get stronger, but maybe can't get to a gym, or maybe they're so rushed for time, they even struggle to get in home bodyweight workouts. What do you say for someone who wants to get a similar stimuli as doing a bunch of strength training workouts, working on their strength in that way, but they're struggling to do that?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, we got to figure out what we are we talking about strength in terms of our our running strength? Are we talking about weight room strength? Are we talking about body weight, stability, core stability? So there's a lot of different things we have to think about. So the first thing I would say is, you know, if you have – enough you know enough space to get a medicine ball and bring that with you when you travel obviously that would be awkward on an airplane but you know a weighted vest um you can find a couple dumbbells most gyms have dumbbells okay most gyms have a medicine ball you know in a hotel so it's like what can i guarantee i can get done in this space even if i can't get outside so one of the things that i put together based off the work of Gary Winkler, creating these modules, is I would have a hotel module. So it's like all of these general strength activities that have some isometric holds, some body weight activities, balance and core work, that no matter what, if you have the space of a bed, you know, and, the, and whatever you've got there, you can get the work done within that hotel room. And so if you think about that, it's like, look, I'd really like to do strength training, but this is what I can guarantee I can get done most days, then do what you can guarantee get done on most days. Hey, I, I would really like to do hills, but I live in Kansas and it's impossible to find a good hill. Well, do you work in an office tower? Can you take the steps every day? Can you do a bunch of steps? Can you jump up the steps? Can you run up the steps? Can you run down the steps? You know There are ways to simulate the stuff that you need. Can you just do isometric hold squats you know, or split squats in a living room, you know, can you do that? Um, and figure out, cause like with young athletes, anytime that I put something in, I ask myself how many athletes are going to comply? What kind of compliance am I going to get? And people don't like that word. Cause it sounds like it's like too dutiful, but the reality is, it's like, what can we actually get them to do? What are they capable of doing? So like anytime you ask somebody to fill out a form, if it takes more than five minutes to fill out the form most people give up you know if uh, a challenging problem doesn't have any kind of connection to them or a story to them they're much less likely to take on the problem for any length of time but the more that you can connect the story to them the more that it's relevant to them the more you're likely going to get compliance and that compliance to be extended to see it through and so like naming these modules after something you know um whatever it may be is is useful. But I have a hotel module which has, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, split squats, isometric holds, jumping jacks, burpees, um, you know, tri-leg lifts, all sorts of different stuff that you can do without needing a weight. And so if you can't guarantee you're gonna be able to get into a weight room, then don't put that as part of your program. Uh when we had COVID last year, one of the things we learned that was very useful to my entire track and field program is we had what was called a weight room without walls. And so we had this whole program that was built around one stability ball, a couple med balls, their bodies, and their partners. And we were able with their partners, their bodies, a stability ball and medicine balls, be able to get a lot of the movement and strength activities that they needed to get done. Now, are they going to look like, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? No but we don't need them to, we, we found out actions that we could get done. Like, you know, having them stand with a split in a squat position, in a runner stride and throwing the medicine ball. And because we only had one, they would throw the medicine ball all the way down the chain to their partners. And then the partner would throw it all the way back down to them, you know, and then they took turns throwing in both directions, either way, you know, and you can get this stuff done very quickly. As an individual, you're like, oh, I don't have a partner to throw a medicine ball to. Do you have a wall? Do you have a floor? Obviously, if you're in a hotel, that's probably a problem, you know, because you don't want to wake somebody up slamming a medicine ball through the wall and, you know, pay for that. But can you go to the parking lot? Can you throw it on the floor? Can Can you go outside? Can you find a concrete wall out there? You know, there's all sorts of things you can do if you're creative, but whatever you're going to do. You've got to be able to do it in multiple scenarios and situations. And it can't be so difficult and multifaceted that it requires all these special caveats to get it done. Have that fluidity to go from no to go, right? Make a thing that's easy for you to do every day, if that's important to you, that you can get done in all manner of situations, whether it's strength training, warm-up, prehab, rehab running to go from the no to the go, create a system that you know, you can get done. Even if it would be nice to deadlift, even if it would be nice to bench press or to do Olympic lifts, those would be nice. But what do you have to do as a runner? You need great core. You need exercises that are going to stump stimulate and support your lumbar bar area, your posterior chain. So you need to create exercises that will build up your glutes your hamstrings, your butt, your lower back, and your abdomen. So create a set of exercises of 10 that take 20 minutes to a half an hour to do. And you can throw that in three or four times a week, and you're going to get a lot out of it.
0: Yeah, I've created a lot of body weight strength routines. And I'm always telling runners, look, the hardest part of these routines is not actually getting them completed, doing the the reps and the sets. These are not particularly difficult exercises, you know, like with any body weight exercise, they can be made difficult. But I think the hardest thing about doing these sorts of routines is actually just finding the time to get them done and <laughs> actually doing them, going through the motions and completing the routine. Because all often, 15 to 30 minutes of strength training after a run is the last thing that runners want to do. But I try to sell these routines to runners by saying, look, you can do these in a cramped hotel room. If you can put down a yoga mat, you can do this workout and you can put down a yoga mat almost anywhere. And so I think it's a really valuable way of thinking about strength training, just like we're thinking about, say, a long run you can't do the long run, can you do a shorter run? Can you do it on the bike? Can you do it in the pool? Can you do a bodyweight workout instead of all your Olympic lifts? And on and on down we go. So I think this conversation has been so valuable. And did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we called it a day, Ryan?
1: Yeah, well, one thing just to follow up to piggyback off of what you're saying, and it's a really important psychological moment is, well, I don't like to do this after a run. Well, then why not do it before the run? Or why not front load it, get it done, get it over with so that you can get to all the things you like. So like kids in my program, they know when we come to the track, the longest interval, the most intense ask that I'm going to ask of them, the most challenging thing comes up front. We rip off the band aid, we get it done, and then we move to the less intense, less heavy lifting figuratively work that we need to get done. And if you can do those things, and then the joy of all of the other parts of training then becomes so much lighter as opposed to having it hang over your head as the, the specter of this uncomfortable thing that you don't want to deal with. Instead, dive face first, whether you're going to hit your head off the diving board or not, you know, let it in, deal with it. And then what's really cool, and you know this too because of all the programs you write for all these athletes and, and your own running experience as well, because once you're in it and doing it, those endorphins take over, and no longer is there the grit in the gears that are, you know, keeping you at a no and keeping you from the go. Once it's in, once you're moving, once you're doing it, those endorphins will allow you the opportunities to physically get those things that were so resistant to done. Because now you're in the flow of what it is to be a human, and those endorphins only come from laughing and exercising. And so it's so very important to do.
0: Excellent point, Ryan. I've gotten so much from this conversation. And I think maybe we can sum it up by saying, if there's a will, there's a way you can always do something. Something is better than nothing. And if you're always trying to do the best you can with what you've got, you're probably going to be okay. And that whatever plan you have, is in pencil, and it can be changed. I always like saying that, you know, any training plan that I write is a roadmap to your final destination, you can take a detour, you can go a slightly different way and still get to your final destination. So I want to thank you for helping us reframe a lot of the adversity that is inherent in the sport of running as opportunities as learning opportunities. And and I think we're all going to be better runners for it. So I'm going to include some links in the show notes on strength running to your excellent book, The Sprinter's Compendium, and other resources from you, Ryan. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Jason, it's a pleasure. And anytime that I can join you and have a conversation on what it needs and what we have in front of us as athletes to be human, to get after it, to physically push ourselves is always a pleasure. And if I can help anybody along the journey, it's been a great day. So thank you for letting me participate with you today.
0: Absolutely. And I also just want to add, sorry, I'm fanboying a little bit over here, Ryan. I I think you're one of the really valuable people to listen to because you are a coach that has a background in psychology. And so that makes you a damn effective coach. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. And it's very apparent through our conversation that you know how to get that buy-in from your team. You know how to extract those peak performances all while developing kids and, and having them fall in love with the sport. So that, that is really clear from uh, our conversation. So thanks for doing what you do.
1: Absolutely. Thank you
0: again. Thanks for listening in my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. I'm excited about one of our newer sponsors, Gnarly Nutrition. What an amazing brand name, but they don't just sound great. They make amazing nutrition products to help athletes like you optimize their diet, fuel smarter, and reach new heights in training. Their chocolate whey protein powder blows my mind. It's the tastiest protein powder I've ever had. I mix it with almond milk, and it's just amazing how creamy and sweet it tastes. You can try it along with anything else at gonarly.com at 20% off with discount code Gnarly20. Gnarly is a trusted supplier of nutrition products to athletes because all of their protein powders, their pre-workouts, amino acids, and fuel are all NSF certified. That means you can trust everything from Gnarly to be safe clean, and free of any banned substances. They comply with strict standards and procedures during every stage of the product's development, including unplanned on-site inspections to ensure you know exactly what you're putting in your body. Fuel better and recover smarter so that you can do more of what you love, running. Go to gonarly.com and be sure to use code Gnarly20 to save 20% off site-wide on your entire order. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy. What can I say? Pizza and fries are my kryptonite. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I'm training really hard. One scoop a day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And because I have three kids, I know I've got to support my immune system because I am just no match for little kid germs. But what I really love about AG1 is it actually changes over time. Over the last 10 years, they've made 53 different improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make these nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason to see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment or a monthly subscription if you wanna make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. That's all for me today, my friends. I'm so grateful for your support, for being part of this wonderful community, for your feedback, and of course, for your love of the sport. We'll be in touch soon.